The following programming is sponsored by Six Feet Over Under Productions. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on opening day on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2 right? for baseball. Okay. A part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, the Phillies haven't waited for us. They're already hitting home runs, having exciting well, times. You're, you're on plural. You're like a little bit too excited here. Now, opening day is like well, I'm not the one really exciting for Blew me. up the pitcher's spot by jinxing him. Why? Just because I said he's pitching a no hitter? Oh, that's not what you said. He that. still is pitching a no hitter. So Aaron, he's Nola, just not pitching a perfect game because he hits him. Aaron Nola apparently looks good through three. That's one of the drawbacks of being in studio and on the air, not being able to watch it right now. Because I'm trying to pay attention to Jeff and not 30, say stupid things. Through three innings, 35 pitches, 20 fish, 25 strikes, no hits, no runs, no walks. Your funniest uh, answer back when I said there was five ground balls through two innings. You said to who? Who caught him? <laughs> <laughs> Look, the defense will obviously be an issue, but I mean. Kyle Schwarber came up, leadoff home run to start the game. Citizens Bank Park went crazy. Look, it'll be exciting to have that energy back in the ballpark, hopefully, this year. You and I are going to go down tomorrow and see what's going on there. And we're going to see Wheeler pitch, right? Oh, no, he's not pitching. Right? No, he'll be we get Gibson sometime soon. We'll see Gibson uh, get the start tomorrow. We may get to see Cole Irvin. We may. That would be fun because yeah. we've talked to Cole Irvin a mm-hmm. bunch before. Swerving Irvin? The minor league show. And I mean, you've talked to him about his fishing rod career. That's right. <laughs> and everything like and that. And he should still be here. They could have used him last year. Uh, unfortunately, Mickey Moniak starting the season on the DL IL now uh, after getting hit in the hand on a meaningless last pitch in spring training. I felt awful when I saw that happen. I want to see the kid succeed. He was looking really good. He had six home runs in spring training. And this is not a guy who was known for his power. If you saw the last home run he hit a couple days ago, when it went off the bat, it did not look like it was a line drive. It didn't look like it was going out and it never moved. I mean, it just was a line drive right over the wall in right field. He has looked much more comfortable at the plate. And according to Kevin Long, it was as simple as him taking a step closer to the plate, Jeff. Mm-hmm. which is a complete an indictment of a whole organization that they couldn't well, tell the batter no, two it, step one step closer. It, it's sorry, not, it just is. No, that's uh, Kevin Long is is understating the situation. I mean, yes, he took a step closer to the plate, but that also changes a whole bunch of other things including how short your swing becomes. Yes. Chase Utley was close to the plate. He had a short swing. All right. We'll leave the best. If you're Ryan Howard, you saw how long that swing was. Yes, absolutely. And how far he stood from the plate. See a lot of long swings this season with this Phillies team mashing the ball. Let's leave the baseball there, though. Okay. But why? Well, because you've got the thing for me (laughs) today. You got me all excited. You You just took it away. Jeff, you lined up a guest for me today uh, and our listeners. I I like you said for you. No, no, it's it's totally for me. You're like Brian Kelly. The owner name was doing for you. All right, I'll I'll bring him on. Scott Berman, (laughs) uh, head statistician for the 76ers for the last 31 years. Scott, how are you doing today, man? Thanks for the time. Doing great. Thanks for having me. So I was saying, you may not realize this, while you're here for our listeners, you're here because I'm a stats geek. I, I love stats, and, and Jeff will tell you I drop stats everywhere I can. So. Yeah, Scott, you won't hear from me in this segment. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was very excited uh, when I, I found out we got the chance to talk to you. Um, you are a man who has seen so much change. You've been through four owners. Um, you've got a crew that you work with. 
but this has been a family thing since your dad was the shot clock timer for the Sixers in the 1950s. Tell us about Scott Berman's journey before we get into the stats themselves. Yeah. So, yeah, my dad was doing the shot clock back in those days. And when he used to take me to a lot of the games and he would hand me a program and I would just keep stats for fun. I just would write down the scores. And um, in those days, of course, the legendary Harvey Pollock was running everything. And Harvey used to check my stat sheet at the end of the game. And I would always have a few mistakes. And then the next game, I would try and do better. I was probably 13 or 14 years old at that point. And then I graduated college and they offered me a job. And I said, are you really going to pay me to do this? Sure. (laughs) So 1988, I'm like, okay, I'm doing it for fun. And 1988 is when I started really working there. Harvey Pollack is like uh, one of the legends of statistics. What was it like to learn from him even when you were a teenager? Amazing. First of all, he was an amazing human being. You know, the great, he was such a great guy. Um, but he was also just so good at like stats and he was so diligent and he, he, you know, invented the triple double and started keeping offensive and defensive rebounds. And there was so many things that he innovated in the NBA. And so I just, you know, I used to read his book and just like loved every minute of his stat book and, and, you know, just figured out how to do it right. In fact, at one point I figured out how to get all the points right. And I was so proud of myself because I got all the points right. And so then he goes, all right, now start keeping rebounds. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Then <laughs> you know, I was like, I got to keep, you know, learning everything I can from this guy. Well, and and now it's more than that. Now you keep everything from which refs call fouls, why replays occurred, plus minus. Tell us about yeah. how stats have changed through the years, and in particular, how technology has changed with those stats. Yeah, well, the plus minus thing is interesting, actually, because that was actually something that Harvey did for every every player in the league every year, but nobody paid a whole lot of attention to it. And then somehow they built it into, you know, the world now, and, and it's a big factor in term, determining how good a player is. Um, and yes, the technology really is what changed things like computers, you know, the computer really changed everything. And the programs that we use to keep stats have evolved a lot over the years. Now we actually have a replay machine, like a DVR next to our stat machine so that we can slow-mo the play during the timeout and make sure we got it right. We also have the NBA that's on the phone with us uh, during the game, you know, questioning us or correcting things so that we get it 100% right. How many sets of eyes do you have during a game? I mean, besides yourself, as, as somebody who goes to a lot of games, it's hard to watch all of the action and see everything that's going on. So... As, as somebody whose responsibility is, is to keep track of every single thing that goes on on the court, how do you do that or how many people do you have as far as sets of eyes that are helping you out with that? So there's two computers and actually Harvey's son, Ron Pollock, who I've worked with a long time, he, him and I are on the computers. So we each have our own things that we keep on the screen. Then we have a spotter and then we have two backups. Actually, three backups because um, the the guy that keeps the book, Mike Sullivan, he's uh, down he's down on the scores table, so he helps us out as well. So there's really about five people watching the game and you know pointing things out that we might miss. Separate from how people use the stats for you know gambling, which we'll get to in a little bit, and other things. People use stats to win arguments with their friends. They make their cases on who the well, best. Well, you do that. No, I'm terrible at comparing <laughs> the best of. But they, they bring stats up all the time. And I, I saw 
somebody ask you how different sports would be if we didn't keep track of statistics and and your answer the stats or the story behind sports was fascinating to me can you explain how stats tell the story of sports for people yeah, this is the most interesting thing because every game there's something in the stats that will tell how the game is going or explain why one team won or lost. And it's different. You know, it could be offensive rebounds one game. It could be points off turnovers in another game. So it really depends on the game and, and you know, the players involved, but it really does affect everything that happens. You know, and if you look over the course of a season and you start to see the trends in the stats, you know, you can tell who's going to be a good team in the playoffs and who's not. Stats are something, look, it's a fact. What you're, you're recording facts, but do you ever have a situation where like somebody's this close to their first triple-double and they have nine rebounds and it's debatable about who, who's rebounded it? Do you ever have players that just like call up or somebody that calls up and says, come on, just give them that rebound? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> usually, usually it's the PR department for the visitors or something. And they'll say, you know, you, owe, you know, and look, we, we want to get a hundred percent right. And so we will look at the replay and say, okay, they think there's another block in there. We'll double check. And so we want to make sure it's right, but it happens all the time. And, you know, we we're very strict about it. You know, we never give out anything, um, you know, that's not deserved. We've seen the prominence of stats as we've seen the rise of analytics. There are game plans that are developed because of analytics, strategies for approaches that people have. Can you talk about how stats are being used even more than before in areas like this to really shape the way the game is played at times? Well, first of all, I think when it comes to acquiring players or free agents or drafts or anything, that a lot, a lot of times analytics is used more than it ever has been. I mean, Daryl Morey is a good example of it. He actually started the Sloan, I believe he was one of the founders of the Sloan Sports Conference where analytics was a big part of uh, how they pick players. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of metrics that are used in order to evaluate a player's performance. You know, there's also now, like, they combine the stats with, like, who you're playing with. So, you know, who how are your, are your plus minus when you're on the floor, when Embiid's on the floor with Maxi, what is the plus minus or when Harris is on the floor with someone else. And so it's really not just individual players, but it's how you play with your teammates. And so I think that in, in trades and everything, it becomes a, a much bigger factor. Well, so th- that's one of my frustrations, especially with a stat like plus minus. A plus minus isn't as simple as somebody has a plus 15 because they're on the court. It's it's integral as to who else is on the court with them. So, do you get frustrated when you see people misapplying your stats or or not using them the way that you intended them? Yes, that's <laughs> totally correct. And and looking at the combination, you have to look at plus minus over a course of a bunch of games. If you look at it on one game individually, it's kind of hard to just judge because of who's on the floor and who you're playing against too. You know, you might be playing against a much bigger team. You might have injuries on your side and your plus minus might not be so well, so good, um, depending on the circumstances. But in fact, one year we actually kept, or for a couple of years, we kept the plus minus for each group of five players that was on the floor at the same time. And that was really interesting. So then the coaches could figure out which lineup had the overall best plus minus. 
So I'm somebody, Jeff occasionally will dabble, but I've played fantasy sports <laughs> where I, I watch the stats regularly, including plus minus. I have leagues where plus minus is actually very significant. Are you surprised with the industries that have evolved around the basic idea that you have of just tracking what happens? It's, it's really amazing, actually. It's cool, and, and it's also a little scary in terms of how many things you can bet on now. Um, but, you know, it's just interesting. Like, you know, people like to bet on these things, and, and it's, there's so, much more, so many more numbers available, and you can follow things on the web, like every single game that's being played. So it's really fascinating how it's become a bigger part of things. You know, I, we sometimes get people that say, you know, I have so-and-so on my fantasy team. Like, I need a few extra assists. And I'm like, don't call, talk to me. I'm like, I'm like, don't text me about this. I don't even want this on my phone. You, like, right. you so, like, tell the player to get a couple extra assists and I'll I'm record like, them. Yeah, yeah. So just I'm so like, you, somebody could be watching. Yeah, just so you know, I will not give Jason your, your email or cell phone number. Yeah. No, and I wouldn't contact you. Don't worry. But it, it, is, yeah. it, it is interesting because, you know, in addition to fantasy, well, gambling, we're seeing a lot more in-game wagering where it's based on the stats from the first half versus what to anticipate yeah. in the second half. Your stats, they used to be that you would hand out a sheet to reporters and other people. Now your stats, if we go to the game, are up on the big board in real time for everybody yeah. to make their decisions. What's that been like with the rise of an embracing of gambling to what you do with stats? Yeah, no, it's totally interesting. You know, in fact, during the game, you know, we'll get messages from different people, you know, saying, oh, I thought so-and-so had an, you know, an extra block and it's not on the stat sheet or whatever. And we'll go back and check, you know, so there's people or we know that there's a lot of people watching us. It's almost made us even more diligent and, and correct with what we're doing, you know, um, and but it is it's also interesting that trends happen. You know, you could see the way someone plays in the first half. And you could see if they're having an off night or something. So I guess if you're really into it, you could bet on those things and, and do well. But it's also, you know, it's it's tough, too. Like, I wouldn't want to try and guess because a lot of different things could happen during the course of a game. Is there a way you can turn off your phone or whatever's in, in, in your booth there so you don't have to get those calls? <laughs> Then, then we wouldn't get the call from the PR department telling us we missed something. <laughs> there you go. You got to be careful. You don't want to miss everything. Yeah. You know, speaking of right. not missing things, you've been in the middle as the man doing the stats of some really fun sports moments. I mean, you've been there as a fan, but I think I read the 2001 run that the Sixers had. I saw a story after Vince Carter's missed shot in Game 7 when the team made it that you were there just trying to get your stats done while everything went around you. Can you talk about what that experience was like? So that was fun. And by the way, that was my only trip to the finals in 33 years. So I would love to have another chance. We'd love to see you <laughs> um, have that chance, by the way. We endorse man. that. Yes. <laughs> but, and that was the only time in the Eastern Conference finals, too. I hate to remind everybody of that, but we haven't made it past the second round in a long time. But yeah, that was fun. And as a matter of fact, everyone was going nuts. And I had to record the, the length of we have to record how long every shot was, like 16 feet, 17 feet. And I was trying to figure out, like, where that shot was taken from and, you know, trying to make sure I got it exactly right because I also knew in the paper the next day it would say, you know, this shot was missed at 17 feet and the Sixers made the finals. And so I was, like, looking, you know, and everybody was jumping on the scorer's table. And 
It was a fun moment, but I had a job to do before I could celebrate. Wait, now nowadays there's all sorts of electronic electronic gizmos that can tell you how far somebody is from a basket when they shoot. In 2001, how are you figuring out how far he is from the basket? Just eyeballing it, really. It's amazing. That was it. I can't tell yeah. you how far away Jeff is from me in the studio. <laughs> and you're there saying exactly where the yeah. shot was on the court. You know, you're... you're Recording history with guys like Iverson and Embiid and other huge names that come in for games. Do you ever think about that, that that what you're doing is what people will look back on and judge how this moment in time was? You're recording history. I mean, sort of, you know, for me, it's just like, you know, it's like I got to just get the game right and I'm focused on that. But later on, when I look back at like Iverson is a good example, like I worked almost every home game of his career and, you know, you see the numbers that the kid put up, like they were just unbelievable. And I, I had the privilege of recording a lot of those baskets and everything. So I, I think about it after the fact, you know, and of course, the year that Joel is having is, is a record breaking year for a center in, in Philadelphia, the numbers that he's putting up. And it's like, it's really fun to watch him every night. Yeah, well, now I'm going to put you on the spot. Nikola jo- Jokic or Joel Embiid for M- MVP? He's got to have a couple more <laughs> stats there. Im- <laughs> Listen, of course I'm going to say Embiid, and he deserves it this year. Uh, you know, the, the Sixers are in a better shape than the Nuggets, and Joel's a better defensive player, in my opinion. He's leading the league in scoring, and he's just, you know, the, what he had to deal with with the Simmons saga. Like, you know, I, I believe that clearly it's Embiid, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit biased on that one. You know, in researching for the interview, I always figured I'd learn something new. I didn't realize it's not a full-time job. This is your second job. <laughs> you've, you've got advertising, yeah. venture capital, but you've got a family jewelry business, too, where, where your family used to sell custom jewelry to Wilt Chamberlain and Daryl Dawkins. Yeah. Tell us about that. That's crazy. Yeah, good research, by the way. Yeah, so my dad uh, manufactured jewelry, and I grew up in the business, and so because of his connection to the Sixers, you know, guys used to, lots of guys used to buy stuff from us, um, the referees, the coaches. And, you know, I'll never forget one day I was there at the office and the phone rings and he goes, you know, is Ken there? No, he's not there. Hey, this is Will Chamberlain. I mean, your dad's making me a ring. And I started, I'm like, oh my God, I'm on the phone with Will Chamberlain. And I started to talk to him. And then we got done talking about the jewelry and he was talking about, then he started talking about Iverson because Iverson was a rookie and about how he scored like 40 points in, in a row for six, four games or whatever. And he's like, you know, I did that too or something like that. And I'm like, I'm sitting here talking to Wilt about basketball stats. It was crazy. <laughs> I also heard that, uh, that you might have done a jewel encrusted necklace that said Planet Lovetron. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, there was about, there was a whole, but Daryl was the best customer we had, by the way, because he made everything into diamonds. Planet Lovetron and Chocolate Thunder and uh, I forget some of the other ones, but he, you know, we made name necklaces and he loved to put them in diamonds. Uh, and in fact, my dad was proud of this fact, like at some point the NBA changed the rule where you can't wear jewelry because somebody, I forget who, someone cut their hand on Daryl's necklace <laughs> during the game. You know, Daryl used to wear a bunch of necklaces that my dad made, and then someone got a bad cut, and the NBA said no more jewelry for NBA players. <laughs> you, got, you guys forced a rule change. And it wasn't just yeah. for the Sixers. I think I saw Ed Snyder was a, a frequent purchaser. Can you talk yeah. about your relationship with him with the Flyers? So the Flyers' wives had, you know, they have that annual carnival and everything, and um, they used to get gifts for the wives. 
So Myrna Snyder, Ed's wife at the time, like she would buy, come to our house. I remember they would pull up in a limousine up at our house and they would come and buy like gifts for every, every player's wife. And they would buy really nice jewelry. We actually made flyers, logo jewelry, like with the logo, like rings and necklaces and things like that. So Ed, Ed was a great guy and um, he was good friends with my dad in those days. Are you getting ready to make their Stanley Cup rings? Easy there, Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I did want We did make rings to the Sixers, though. Sorry to interrupt oh. you. Uh, we, in 83, when they, they gave out rings to the team, and then they said anybody else that wants a ring could get it from, from Ken Berman. So we made Sixer championship rings for like a bunch of staff and everything. I figure I have to ask before we let you go. Any other favorite moments? I feel like you've been courtside or, or there to witness so many things that I can't even think of while I'm on the air with you right now. Well, so outside of the Sixers, I mean, working the Olympic Games was amazing in 1996 in Atlanta. That was a highlight. You know, um, I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, some of the Sixer highlights were the overseas trips that I made. I uh, went to China a couple years ago with them worked some games and I uh, was in Mexico City and Germany. So I really enjoyed traveling, which I don't do often with the team. Um, and, you know, it was just, I, I guess I'm just very privileged and honored to be a part of the franchise for so long. And just I've seen the greatest of the greats, Michael Jordan, Kobe, everybody, you know, all, all along the way, I got the honor of working their games. So it's just, you know, it's been a privilege all this time. Well, it is a privilege for us to hear all these stories. Obviously, we'll keep watching all of your stats and hope that you get to have some Eastern Conference final and championship games to record. Thank you so much for giving us the time and you take care of yourself. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks very much. Take it easy. Thank you. Jeff, how Bye-bye. cool is that? Will Chamberlain called to talk to him. <laughs> Can you imagine he that? Didn't, he didn't call you. It was no. Cool. It was cool for him. He didn't so. call me, but like... <laughs> Can you imagine picking up the phone? Like, you you call me, and it's like, oh, Jason. Like, if Wilt Chamberlain called you, would you even be able to talk? Sure. Yeah, right. I interviewed Dr. J. I mean, he was my idol. But you were prepared to interview Dr. J. Wilt Chamberlain just calling you out of the blue. You'd be like, humming, humming, humming. Oh, I wish I could tell you about some of the people I've talked to on the phone. It's what a cool. Look, thank you. First of all, did I did I not geek out too much for him? I hope. No, you geeked out. I know I did. No, but what he's he's very humble, but in in not saying what I believe is true, which is he is a recorder of history. Yeah, he's the gatekeeper to history. Yeah, I mean, look, people like like Keith are people who record what they see, but statistics are the lifeblood of sports and have become more and more a lifeblood of of all sports. I mean, look. Growing up, baseball, the st- statistics was most important. I mean, that's the that's the thing you measured it by. You didn't know other than... People kept their own scorecard based on statistics. Exactly. I have a whole stack of them from my kids. So, so but, you know, football, hardly anybody knew the, the stat. Like, you know, everybody knew who had the most home runs and what that number now was. Now I know who has the most drop passes because I right, have fantasy. But, but, well, and it's probably somebody on the Eagles. <laughs> so, Potentially. But but it wasn't something that statistics weren't the lifeblood, but during our lifetimes, it has become that. And he's a recorder of those very statistics. Can you imagine being the guy that is in private handing off a sheet to other people that now has We've so much attention. We have, yeah. but, but now, I mean, like I said, you look at the new scoreboard, the stats are up there in real time. 
Yeah, and well, when those stats aren't working right, people are confused. You mean when you can see the scoreboard? Yes. Well, yeah. that that yeah. too. Uh, you, maybe you can explain it to me because nobody's been able to explain it. This this curved scoreboard that they have. <laughs> If you're sitting in a corner, you can't see one of the sides of that scoreboard. Could I give you a homework Why? assignment? I would like you to find the people who build the scoreboards and have them come on the show. And explain, explain to what us the, the mechanics of why do we draw? Well, isn't the Sixers and Flyers, can it like move to a million different ways and stuff? Well, no, that's that the, the ring on top can go down and up. That's okay. about it. The rest of it doesn't like expand and contract as far as I've so ever seen. They're not satisfied with but like it curves, the huge. It curves inward. So anytime you're in the corners, you can't see one side of well, the statistics. Clearly, clearly you're not getting good enough seats then. <laughs> you, <laughs> you would really? just spend a little more money on some better seats. That's right. You well, can see okay. the whole scoreboard. All right. You will not be sitting in my seats from now on. As, as we get just ready, for that. As we get ready to go to the game tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Good good move there. Well, at least you asked me where I want to sit tomorrow. So, so you want to talk about statistics. The, the Phillies Give me are, some stats. Hit me with so it. So the Phillies are now up 5 nothing. Now, this this won't age do well we know anybody, when they re-air this. Do we but, know anybody on the athletics? I yeah. asked this before. Well, we know Cole Irvin. Cole Irvin. Personally, but... but the Does only anybody people else in that baseball? I know are Elvis Andrews, um, and not even when he was with the A's, <laughs> Stephen Pisati or Piscotti, and, and, and that's pretty much, and Tony yeah. Kemp. I mean, you want to talk about teams that had a fire sale this year, yeah. everything must They're go. They're still having one. They traded somebody the other day. They did. The, and and look, we'll get, their okay. opening day pitcher will not be there in like two weeks, probably. So you go through what's going on in the game, and then I'll give you some Oakland stats before we hit the break. Well, the Phillies are up five nothing after three innings. Good. I mean, it, it couldn't it couldn't be going any better for the beginning of a season, so that people can overreact. Cole Irvin <laughs> threw four innings pitched. Cole Irvin, or not Cole Irvin? Irvin uh, you mean Aaron, Aaron Nola? Nola? Sorry, I have Cole Irvin on the brain because he said we're going to see him tomorrow. Yeah. Aaron Nola through four innings pitch, still looking good. Are you ahead of me? Because I only have him, I have them in the f- top of the fourth. Uh, <laughs> it says batter Reese Hoskins. Oh, I could be okay. wrong. All right. But that's what it says. All right. Anyway, so we talked a little about who anybody knows on Oakland, and I had some numbers for you. So Oakland's re- uh, overall payroll this year is around $33 million, $32.5 million, okay? Mm-hmm. That for the year is less than four teams, including the Dodgers and Phillies, spend every month in their payroll. That is also... A how, how much more is Bryce Harper making than the entire Oakland A's team? There's a couple... Of, I don't know Bryce Harper, but there's a no? couple teams that um, that Max Scherzer is making more than the whole team's payroll um, with what his... I did see that. But for Oakland, they are basically at their payroll level from 1991. And with this new package, and the stadium's in worse shape the than it was in, in nineteen and they have a local TV market deal that gets them sixty-one million dollars a year. I'll tell you though, they have a fan base, so that they was do. I went last year, but, and I was shocked at the number of people and how enthusiastic they are as fans, even though they play in a dump. But wasn't the lockout supposed to fix situations like this? Well, well it wasn't that the whole reason it was supposed to, but they didn't include that, like. It just, they didn't. They didn't. They they're still allowing the the you know messing around with player time as far as when they call people up and stuff. They didn't fix a lot of the problems. They pan. They all panicked and said, "We got to get back." Speaking of calling up, but the bases are going to be bigger. 
right? Yes. So, yeah, so isn't that is today? I haven't seen the game. I don't know when here. that gets implemented. Did, did they put in the bigger base? I didn't see when that new. Are there going to be more stolen bases now? That'll make the game faster. I Can was. Can you told. explain to me how Schwarber is le- leading off? I don't understand this whole thing. I told you it's a softball lineup. No, but he he he. This isn't the only place he's been the leadoff hitter. He's been a leadoff hitter in lots of places. Right, but he's not fast. Like no, like but he takes, what he takes to, a lot of pitches at times. I think, and that's you know you work it to start the game. Then, then bat him second. I want to have somebody fast at the top of the lineup. Look at and you I'm complaining. Complain- I know I'm complaining. Even though he, they're up five nothing, can you just and he enjoy scored, it? And he scored two runs. He hit a home run on his first at bat as a yep. Philly. Can you just be happy for one and, second? And then he walked Good and Lord. scored on his second at bat. Oh my. Goodness. It just doesn't make sense to me. On the uh, on the bright side, there. for a organization that has no farm system, as people say it, they did start the season with Bryson Stott, Mickey Moniak, and Alec Bohm on the roster. Whether Alec Bohm plays and is Matt a different Vierling. story. And Matt Vierling. Yeah. Unfortunately, Mickey Moniak, in a meaningless game, got hit on the hand right. and will be out six weeks after having a great spring. Mm-hmm. So hopefully he can pick back up where he is. But Matt Veerling is playing today. I, I hope so, because he's really the only center fielder, and I do not want to see Odubel Herrera on this team. No, and what's going to happen is Odubel and Moniak are going to come back around the same time. Yeah. And so I'm going to be very interested to see what this team does at that point, because Moniak earned a spot on this roster in the spring. There goes the no-hitter and the shutout. Why would happen? Oh, no, it's, it says in-play run. <laughs> in-play run. <laughs> and, and it's after 3.2 innings, so you jinxed it. Oh, okay, well, we'll go to break and tell you what I screwed up after when we get back. Stick with us. <laughs> Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. So, Jeff, I jinxed it. Uh, the player everybody knows, Chad Pinter, hit a solo Pinder. home run. Pinter hit a whole yeah. solo home run off Aaron Nola. Still 5-1. So it's one. still 5-1. All right, we'll leave that there. I wanted to be happy, and then we got to talking about the Sixers now. <laughs> so, okay. Talk right. about stats. <laughs> Man, what happened Bad this stats. week? This This was a crazy week. All right. So, you want to talk about Matisse first? Yeah, I guess. Because I went from being a huge fan of his to just not understanding. Okay. This was a kid who was supposed to be educated. He was supposed to be somebody who uh, science was like a big part of his life. And, and now we're sitting there hearing, all we know is the Sixers won't say anything. There was a question about whether the Sixers would certify that all their players were vaccinated. And then he wasn't on the injured list. He was on the ineligible to play list in Toronto, the likely opponent for their first round playoff if they can't get out of the four seat. That is the larger challenge. Look, I have a lot of people who I have talked to about vaccines with. I try very hard not to pass judgment on why people do and don't do things. I am surprised that at this point we are having this conversation. I really am. And it, the way that the Sixers have played coming down the stretch, they've put themselves in a situation where it's relevant now. Because Especially they're, with that team. I, be, was, I was at a game, I think it was a few weeks ago, when Toronto was here. He shut down Gary Trent. Gary Trent went off last night. 
Yeah, and Pas- nobody can stop Pascal Siakam. At least he can slow him down every once Who, in a while. Who, by the way, Jerry Colangelo could have drafted. I'd just like to point that out. <laughs> Brian Colangelo could have drafted. You know, got he was busy on his burner was, account. <laughs> I mean, look, the, the problem is, so you look at last night's game, you take Thibel out of the starting lineup, you put right. Green in the starting lineup, you, your bench has four players that combined for a minus 55. Um, that's just not... Yeah, you sent me that one, and I was just... Oh. That, that's just not going to get it done. And and it's not just... Well, but remember, Scott said you shouldn't look at it over one game. So you should look at it over a series of games. Well, and I understand. And, and to, to your argument, mm. there are other players on the court when it happens. Yeah. The problem but is the problem, who the other players are. The problem is, if you know, you can use stats anyway, but if you look at the stats, when Harden and Embiid are on the court together, this team is dominant. When is it when Embiid is on without Harden, they're not as good, but they're they're not giving up as much. They're scoring more. When Harden's on the court without Embiid, those splits are not good. He, and so I don't know if Harden's Harden is, got no burst. He he has turned into a traditional passing point guard. It seems to be his strength because he's not he's not able to execute the patented step back that he's been doing. Well, the reason he can't execute the patented step back is because there isn't the threat for the blow by. So it's like when right. you, it's like when you don't run play action all game or when you don't run all game and then think somebody's going to bite on play action. Yeah, that's my point. I mean, he's it, got he, he has he has no burst. When's the last time you saw him dunk? So I'll ask the question that I've asked a few times. And and look, this is not second guessing because I asked before the trade when I told you I wanted Halliburton. Is he not healthy or is he done? I don't, he's, well, he is. Dunn, on, and I, and done is too much. Done as the player that people wanted as a shooter. Can, he yes, can adjust yes, his and game yes. and be a distributor right. and that's fine. He can mm-hmm. be that kind of point guard if you have enough other options on the team. But on a team that primarily relies for scoring on their starting five, you can't have a guy on the court that puts up 13 points well, as a starter. Yeah, but the one thing you said is they don't, the scoring is not from their starting five. It's from the starting four because Matisse doesn't score. Well, and that's so, even the larger problem. So yeah. you don't not only do you not have a bench to come in and help at this point, you don't have a starting lineup. Right, that's but, but you, you're you're basically going to end up with the Ben Simmons problem again. I mean, Harden's not afraid to shoot and, and he can make free throws, but if he can't get to a scoring spot, then he's not much different than Ben Simmons, except he's shorter. Right? The the problem is you needed Harden to be that primary or the secondary scorer with Embiid, and then Maxi can excel from that. But Harden is now stuck at the top of the key because of, supposedly, the hamstring. So, so, so it limits your ability to create so the sh- very spacing that he was supposed to create. So should he play or should he rest? Rest for what? The playoffs start next week. Yeah, so should he play in these final two games? They're probably going to be locked into the 4-5 against Toronto. No, unfortunately he has to so they can try to get out of this four spot so that they don't have the problem that they're going to be shorthanded if they go to Toronto for a couple games. They, th- You're right, except for the fact that now it's a real problem. If you had Matisse for all of your games, it would be easier, although I still think Toronto is a tough matchup for them. But now you have a situation where you're desperately trying to get out of a spot because that one team, you're not going to have your the, full complement of players. The by the way, is a few weeks ago on the show, we talked with Keith Pompey when it looked like the Nets might be playing Toronto in the play-in and would Kyrie be able to play right. in that game. And now here we have the Sixers 
look, Thibel may not score, but your defense is markedly worse when he's not on the floor and not on the team. I'm not saying like not on the bench or anything. Like when he's not available at all, there was nobody to slow down Siakam last night. There was nobody to slow down Gary Trent. And Fred Van Fleet didn't even play. So Will know, he be back for the playoffs? Because he's been out for a while. I mean, he didn't play in the game when they were here either. Playoffs start the 16th. The playing games are next week uh, through the 15th. So we'll see. I mean, it's another so week who, of rest. So who has the... Okay, right now, the Celtics are a half game ahead and they're they, because they played one more game than the Sixers. If the Sixers and the Celtics end up with the same record, who gets the third seed? I don't know. Why do you ask me these things I, on the I don't know. You're the stats guy. Don't you prep for the show? Yes, <laughs> but you're the stats guy. You're supposed to know that. I don't know the percentages of that. You call Keith. Let me know. All right. Okay, so, but that's obviously what they're chasing at this point. Right, because they're 49 and 31, Celtics are 50 and 31, and Bucks are 50 and 30. So you have a real problem here getting up to the the third seed or the second seed. The Heat have already clinched the first seed. So. Look, I'll, I'll give you what I think is a larger concern of playing Toronto. Doc gets out coached by Nick Nurse regularly. And I, I don't see how Doc Rivers comes back if this team doesn't get past the first round this year. You could tell me about Harden not being healthy and everything. We can talk about the merits of the Sixers giving him a longer-term deal based on what his health is. But at this point, you've given a bunch of players here. You've made the decision. I wouldn't mind necessarily. You know I'm not the biggest Doc fan. I find him to be defensive when he's questioned as if how dare we. And I don't think he draws up good plays at the end of games regularly. So if the Lakers want to hire him or any of those other rumors, I'll let Jeff drive him to the airport. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, what do you think about the pressure that's on Doc now because of the situation that this team is in? It needs to be on him now. You've now been given the pieces. Now the question is whether or not you could do something with them. And the frustration for a lot of Sixers fans has been that you seem to have the pieces, regardless of whether or not there are injuries or things holding players back. You have the pieces there. They are on the court. It's your obligation now to make those pieces work. And we've now watched him kind of get into playoff mode ever since Harden got here. And, And that didn't do anything. No. So it so, hasn't worked. Yeah. So if other it than didn't, a couple of games, it has not worked. Right. So if it hasn't worked, you have the situation where there's going to be second guessing about whether you should have played Paul Reed more, whether or not you should have seen whether or not Shake Milton or Furkan should have been on the court every once or in a while. Or Isaiah Joe occasionally. So the Who? Thing, well, like he's totally disappeared. You would think that throughout the season you want to get these guys experience, so you don't throw them in the game like last night. You put Paul Reed in with 4.4 seconds left in the first quarter. Yeah, what is that going to do? Who is that resting? <laughs> it kept Embiid from not getting a foul. That's about it. But that's so. That's what our players are there for now—to cover up for others. Apparently. Like that. To me, that's just a misuse of the talent that you have at this point. Now, I'm not saying that they're the most talented team. They're definitely a flawed team. But I don't see them running this intricate offense that sets plays. It's, you know, Harden brings the ball up, dribble, 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 pass off. Maybe somebody shoots it. Maybe another pass. I mean, Harden had a pass with three seconds left on the shot clock to Paul Reed that he mishandled down low that even if he caught perfectly, he wasn't doing anything with it. It just wasn't. And so I just don't understand at times what this team is doing on offense 
Their deep look last night. Their turnovers were terrible. They had 17 turnovers, leading to 25 points by the Raptors. And for as much as we love Embiid, he committed five of those. So, you know, and and all I keep hearing is, well, how does this impact Embiid for the MVP race? All right. So now I'm gonna since you brought that up, I'm gonna ask you. I don't the think same he question. gets it. Is it who should get it? Embiid or Jokic or Giannis? Or you know what's funny? He's never in he, the conversation. Yeah, because people just kind of got bored with exactly. him. Exactly. Even even though he's better than he was when he was MVP. When he won MVP. Right. So how can you not have him a part of the conversation? Now, I always ask... In Milwaukee. Like, like, it's not like it's in LA that he's doing this. He's doing it in Milwaukee. And that's what I don't really understand is how he's not a part of the conversation. Okay, but... You know, obviously, I still think Devin Booker has to be in the conversation. He has the, the Suns in first with Chris Paul missing half the season. I know. If you're going to talk about an MVP, it's a player that carries their team to be more than they are. And so, I don't know, has Embiid done that with the Sixers? Okay, but... Embiid's if, had a great individual season. But it, how do you judge MVP? I'm terrible at that. Well, so I was just going to say, but the way it's most valuable player, the way that I define, it's not most, hold on, hold on, relax, deep breath, okay? Ready? In and out. <laughs> it's not most outstanding player. Yes. It's not best player. Yes. It's most valuable player. And so if you're going to look at who is most valuable to the team, you usually say, well, what happens if that person is not on the court I think with Embiid them. is the most valuable player not to the Sixers. But not a chance. Who's who's more valuable? How can you say Jokic is not more valuable? No, 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 no. Can you name anybody else on Denver? I, no, no. I People said, in Denver can't I name said anybody for else. the Sixers, he's their most valuable player. I he's didn't theirs. say he's the most valuable player okay, in so, the league. So based I, on my definition. No, I agree with you. Yeah. If you take Jokic out of that equation, they're nothing. Right. They're, they're not anything he makes and he makes he's a center who makes people better he's averaging 27.1 points 13.8 rebounds 7.9 assists and by the way he cre- he is the first person ever to have 2000 1500 ever i understand ever not you're magic not, johnson you're not allowed to say that in this city why I don't know. It's Dr. Not J a, said something the other day and people got all upset about it. It is not a slight on Embiid that Jokic is the most valuable player to his team. Look, I think that Embiid's having an amazing season. I and do too. I think at the same time it can be that um, Jokic is the most valuable player to his team. I think those both can be true. Other people don't see it that way. It's got to be one or the other. I don't know. Is he the greatest second round pick ever? Wasn't he a second round pick? Pretty good. Yeah. Here it is. He was the 41st pick in the 2014 draft. Denver's done all right for themselves out of that one. That's a lot of scouts who missed, (laughs) (laughs) including probably Denver in the first round. (laughs) That is a lot of scouts that missed. All right. I want to go to some football real fast. Uh, Some Eagles news this week that happened. Um, Not surprising to me uh, how he made a deal. Uh, traded this year's uh, number 16 and 19 picks to New Orleans for uh, the number 18 and 2023 20, first round picks. Why? Why? Because he got yeah. a first round, a second round, and a third round pick for an extra first round pick. Yeah, but it, are, are the, so are the Eagles acknowledging they're in a rebuild? Like, why would you not take, you have two. I think they've been doing that without saying that for a very long time. I think they just don't want to say they're in a rebuild, but that's what they're doing. How and also, they're hedging in their bets. In this division, 
In I, this dreck of a division, why would you be trading around, trading away first round picks for the future at this point? I never thought you can go back and check the tape that Howie Roseman was making three first round picks in this draft. Howie Rosen likes optionality. And so he was going to leverage that pick for more picks. And that's what he did. He basically turned the Carson Wentz pick into another first, second, and third round pick. You can begrudge him or not. I'm just not surprised that he did it. Uh, Okay. I, I, I may not be surprised that he did it. But I think in this division, by the way, if people could see Jason's, Jason's chair just Look, sunk. Okay. I'm short to begin with in life. Like, like life makes me feel short. But when I'm sitting here and I push my leg against the lever on the chair and it just goes down slowly, I feel even shorter about oh. myself. So, look, I'm not surprised. I'm not at all. Yeah, but you you cannot be surprised. It doesn't mean that it's the right thing for him to do. And if if I was an Eagles fan, I would want to get as many people this year as possible. I'm not worried about next year because I know this division sucks. <laughs> the Cowboys are not going to be that good, and they're the Cowboys. They haven't won in decades. The Giants are the Giants. I wouldn't worry about them if I were you. And, and Washington Commanders have Carson Wentz. Come on, so, man. So I could take out my Wentz wagon shirt again. And, and, and then there's this whole thing that we, we don't know if Jalen Hurts is the quarterback or not. That. Like, just ex- just say, hey, man, he's our quarterback. We're riding with him, and that's it. Just make him your quarterback until he's not your quarterback. Just stop. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. He, apparently, he's out there working with Tom Brady, who, by the way, was in the news this week, Jeff. I know. He's always in the news. Let's talk about Brian Flores and the NFL and the lawsuits and all of the news that came out this Well, week. but it's not just about Brian Flores now. It's about Steve Wilkes. It's about so many other coaches. But maybe the most damning thing that we've heard wasn't the Brian Flores incident. It's the fact that former Titans head coach Mike Malarkey came out and said that his own interview was a sham interview. I have the exact That he was quote. told in advance, don't worry about it, the job's yours. And then he he now feels bad that all these other coaches prepared, went through this thing, and they had no shot at it. As I sat there knowing I was the head coach in 16 as they went through this fake hiring process, knowing a lot of coaches that they were interviewing, knowing how much they prepared to go through those interviews, knowing that everything they could do and they had no chance of getting that job. Actually, the GM, John Robinson, he was in on the interview with me. He had no idea why he was interviewing me, that I had the job already. That's really damning for a league that stands on the Rooney rule for hiring when now you have three African-American coaches saying they were slighted. And that's followed up with this story from Tom Brady, where apparently he wanted to be an owner of the Dolphins and then force a trade to the Dolphins. Well, well so just a little bit of the backstory that the Dolphins owner is Stephen Ross. Stephen Ross is who the business school at Michigan is named after. So there's a Michigan connection there. The rest of it I don't understand because I don't even know if you're allowed in the league to own a team and at the same same time play because isn't that getting around salary cap? How, how do you do that? Apparently their plan, they had a two-pronged plan. Once Brady was on board as owner, the team was going to try to work out a trade so Brady could eventually play. They'd hire Sean Payton. How's that not tampering? I 
I don't know. Hold on. Wait. I, I'm going to make is... the guy an owner, not a player, and then I have to work out a trade for the very guy who owns the team? But if if you go back and look at Flores's lawsuit, apparently it blew up because the Dolphins were hoping to make an announcement about Brady joining the ownership before the Super Bowl. But they Brady wanted, came to the interview. They the wanted meeting. Flores to interview right. Brady. And he wouldn't. Brady showed up. Flores did. didn't. Yeah. And so the lawsuit said that because Brady was apparently referred to, even though he wasn't directly in the suit, he alleges that the Dolphins owner tried to get him to tamper with another team's quarterback by meeting with him so that he could end up playing for him when they were forcing Flores out. Should Stephen Ross be if if yes. If all of this is true, he should be removed. I still think he if should be half removed. half of this is true. I still think he should be removed if he asked and tried to get his team to throw games. Absolutely. For, for a league that embraces gambling the way that it does. And provided, and, and the allegation is provided a financial a incentive, incentive to do that. that. Yeah. That, that is, yes, I do believe that Stephen Ross should be Especially gone. Especially since um, I believe there was a wide receiver named Calvin Ridley who was suspended for how long? The for season for, for basing one bet. For how much money? Uh, hundred bucks or something Okay, like well, it wasn't a hundred bucks that Stephen Ross was allegedly offering to Brian Flores to lose games. It was a lot more. These are serious issues facing the NFL, and nobody is talking. And if you look at the other stories out there, you've got headlines floating around about the Dallas Cowboys. Well, wait, what do you mean nobody's talking? Mike Malarkey just... But he just opened the the dam. The NFL doesn't seem to want to discuss it. Of course they don't. They, they never want to discuss anything. They they don't seem to want to have anything to do with this at all. Of course they don't. Why are you surprised? They never want to say anything about anything. I'm not surprised, but just I just keep think printing it, money and I be think quiet. it becomes harder the more coaches that there are to keep saying nothing happened. Jeff, you're an attorney. You lay out a pattern of behavior. Right. You have a lot of examples now. You have a whitehead coach saying he knew he was in on sham interviews. You have text messages from another whitehead coach congratulating a coach thinking he was somebody else when he was really an African-American coach who hadn't interviewed yet. I mean, you have a lot of examples that if you were a lawyer, yeah. tell me you wouldn't I'd have be fun able, with this. Tell yes. me you wouldn't enjoy making this yeah. case. Well, especially when you get to depose Bill Belichick. <laughs> like, like, there is a lot here. And I asked Jesse Washington when we had him weeks ago, did the NFL and the Dolphins pick the wrong person to mess with with Brian Flores? And he said yes. Mm -hmm. Not only does he have receipts, he's got friends with receipts. Yeah, that. And he's got people who aren't even friends and involved who have receipts. And the more these receipts add up, the more the NFL has a problem. He, well, here's the biggest problem. The See, when things go wrong, leagues like this make bad decisions on what to say. And what happened right after the allegations came out? The NFL basically said, well, we don't know anything about this. I, t I pointed out their statement, right, when they said yeah, it? Yeah, right. So now you now there's other people going, really? You're going to say that? You're not even going to investigate this first before you open your mouth and say anything? And so now you have other coaches that are saying, "Real, if this is what you're going to do, this is never going to get any better on its own. So now I need to speak up too. And that's what's now happening is the NFL has now basically taunted people into doing this because the NFL didn't say, we're going to, remember I, I keep saying they are the least proactive league. They're reactive in everything they do. And if they would have been proactive and said, here's how we're going to deal with this. And it's not going to be some piecemeal thing that we know isn't going to work. What they did was their first reaction was to 
deny that they knew anything about it and that there was nothing out there for essentially. So now you've put people in a position to say, I can't just let this go because, and I'm a, they should have never let it go in, to begin with, but you can't let it go when you see that the wrong is going to continue even after somebody's brave enough to call it out. You know who could be in more trouble than Stephen Ross? Who? Daniel Snyder. How could he be in worse trouble? What more could well, that they, guy do? They have denied it and put out a denial, but there was a report that came out this week that the House Government Oversight Committee has documents showing that teams are required to give 40% of ticket revenues to the league. Yeah. Washington was holding back revenues, according to those documents. Okay. That, so you don't just, mess with others' mo- owners' money. Ju- yeah. Okay. But that may be. They'll s- care about see, that. See, but that's sad. I know. That statement is sad. You're right. But that statement's it sad is. because if you mess with their pocketbooks, then they do they something. They should be gone because of the way women were treated and the way that organization ran. Daniel and Schneider should be nowhere near readings. any organization. But no other owner seems to care about that. In fact, John Gruden is the only one who's lost a job because of mm-hmm. that situation. But you watch. If the owners think that Daniel Snyder took money out of their pockets, they'll remove him from the league. He'll be gone quicker yeah. than Stephen Ross will. Mm-hmm. It's it's and and they better watch it because I guarantee you, Daniel Snyder has receipts on everybody else. Just like when they had the situation with what what's his name Richardson, who used to own Char- was mm-hmm. it Charlotte? Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden, when St. Louis, the city, decided to sue St. Louis it all comes Rams, out. who was the guy who said, hey, I'm going to be testifying as to X, Y, and Z? It, that's yeah. what they have to worry about coming now. And yet, somehow, that they'll take action on because it's money. But when they had a chance to deal with the Brian Flores situation and what followed, what, what happened before him, that they chose not to be proactive on. And that's what kills me. Just the latest example of the NFL leading from behind. Jeff, four minutes left. Tiger Woods is back out on the golf course at the Masters. Shot a 71 in the opening round. Struggling a little more today. Shocked that he's back out playing or no? I am. uh, Because I've walked that course. Uh, First of all, it's gorgeous. But it is a really hard course. I know everybody's going to go, oh, it's really hard to walk a golf course. When you're playing golf, I didn't I play. I feel so bad. I didn't you walk the golf course. Yeah, I didn't play. I, listen, I would have loved to play Augusta too, but the fact is, just walking that course, it's very hilly. This is a guy who was in a, a serious car accident, who has rods in his legs, who didn't know if he was going to be walking again, and was able to finish a round of it's four and a half hours or so that you are walking up and down hills. He didn't get to use a cart, and he had to play, and he has to balance on it, and he somehow shot. One under par. I couldn't do that with two good he legs. He shot a and seventy-one. I can't shoot. If I played Augusta, I wouldn't shoot that on nine. You wouldn't shoot hundred and forty-two. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I wouldn't on nine. I would not get seventy-one. Uh, what will you be watching this weekend? You have many options: the Masters, the Phillies, the Flyers, the well, Sixers. Well, I can take out the we Flyers have tickets to Sixers, Phillies. Flyers tomorrow, but we're going to Phillies. somehow. We don't have them to the union. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't have them <laughs> but, to the union. But that we can't like walk across the street to all. The union are in first place, still playing very well. By the way, in our in our last two minutes, we should give a shout out. Uh, if we don't make it to the Flyers game, one of our favorites, Lou Nolan, is going to be honored Saturday night for his fifty years 
as the voice of the Flyers. They've got alumni coming back. The team's going to wear a special pouch uh, patch on their <laughs> pouch. My, I can't talk. This isn't today. the Australian team. <laughs> this is the worst time speaking that I've well, ever here's, here's, had on the radio. No, actually, that was really good of you. You know what? why? Because it, it it shows what a skill a master that Lou Nolan is, because he doesn't make those mistakes. Right? <laughs> Lou is so, better than and, me. <laughs> and that's why he should be honored, because he says the Pico power play. He says all that. He is the voice, and we are not. But, I mean, think about it. He's Is he the only voice of an organization? So so it's funny. No, that, because Dan Baker's thrown out the first pitch for his 50 years of doing it. No, but I'm saying for the Flyers. Yes. He is the only voice of that organization. Yes. Like, like that's amazing that he has witnessed all of that history. And we've talked to him about some of the history that he has seen from the Russians to the the Bobby Clark teams to the, the Ron Hextall yeah, teams the sad to part the Lindros is, teams. Yeah, but the sad the, part is we can't talk to him about recent history because it's so bad. Well, there's stuff to talk about. It's just not good. Uh, you know, what, what do you except, say? except now when they should be losing games, they're now winning they're winning games. games. Yeah, they beat right. Columbus 4-1 last night. Of course they did. Uh, so the Union will play Saturday... Play again. They beat Charlotte FC two nothing. They're still in first place, undefeated. They are undefeated. Mm-hmm. Did you watch the NCAA finals in our last minute? This news fest, as far as I was concerned, a lot of other people watched it. Yeah, ratings were up huge. I know you care about that. Oh, what were they? Please tell me. Up thirteen percent over <laughs> last year. Seventeen shares, the best for the entire tournament since nineteen ninety four. It's because Michigan was there and Rutgers was there. It was all those Rutgers fans watching the game Where? against the ratings. The playing game oh. had the highest ratings. Yeah. Just no, I watched more of the, the, the Frozen Fourth semifinal than of the final. Yeah, that was a painful loss for you last I night. Know. That's going to be the last word. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us this week. <laughs> Make sure to join us next Friday night to start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.